podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Now, Father God, as we take a look once again at these words of life that are flowing from Peter's mouth and heart as the Holy Spirit gives him utterance, God, we pray that our hearts would receive these words and the gospel would just be born again alive to us and made powerful God do your work we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said a hearty that was hearty (laughs) very good well what a difference a day makes right and the day of Pentecost my word a month before the day of Pentecost which was the Jewish feast of weeks and we call it Pentecost 50 days from Uh, Passover, when the Holy Spirit was given and empowered um, the church to become the church, really, it was opening day there. A month before the day of Pentecost, Peter, the lead disciple, was really just a hot mess, was he not? Uh, To coin, I guess it's okay to say that about Peter, and unstable, inconsistent, impulsive, always putting his foot in his mouth. And he was in usual form the night Jesus was betrayed. You know the story well. He pledged his loyalty, boasting about his devotion, even if it meant dying with the Lord. And so after the arrest in the garden and the disciples all run for their lives, uh, Peter also runs but follows at a distance and there in the courtyard warming himself by the fire there with some other uh, um, people. He, he was asked, uh, he was recognized in the glow of the fire. Uh, You're one of that man's followers. And he said, I am not. I swear to God, I don't know him. And strike one, strike two, strike three. Three times he denied the Lord and you're out. Well, it's true in baseball, but not true in the kingdom of God. That's strike three and you're out. A man uh, right with God uh, can fall continually seven times, means continually, but he always, by the grace of God, manages to get up and he is restored because the Spirit of God uh, lives within. And so this is the case with Peter. So after the resurrection, they reconcile. Jesus appears to him. And I imagine that Peter was all ears when Jesus started talking about the power of the Holy Spirit to come 
to enable uh, him and all Christians to be uh, who God has intended us to be, to empower, to help, to remind us of all that Jesus taught. And so uh, he was excited about that. They waited in the upper room. And boom, on a Sunday morning, of course, at 9 a.m., of course, as they were congregating together, of course. You think that's all a coincidence? No, no, it's the birth of the church. And for the next 2,000 years, that's exactly what would happen at 9 a.m. on Sundays. 2,000 years. All over the globe, the Holy Spirit meets with his people and is manifest in so powerful ways. And so uh, as we're getting the context for the sermon to dive back into, God enabled 120 Galileans to speak in languages they had never known. And they were praising God in all the dialects of the Jewish uh, visitors to Jerusalem from all of those nations around. And so they wanted to know, and the crowd wanted to know, what's up with this? What's going on? And it's go time. Peter stands, and his hot mess days are over. Uh, he is fully composed. He has confidence, incredible insight. And I'll just say, as one who preaches for a living, to listen to this sermon, to know that it's off the cuff, he's standing up without notes, and he quotes three passages by heart, and he expounds from three Old Testament passages to show evidence of what's going on. They ask the question, what does this mean? The Holy Spirit is here, and Jesus has risen and ascended, and, and now what's going on? And so he goes to the Bible, and he preaches up a storm. And so what a difference that one day makes. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us, you know. Weak as we are, he comes into our lives and he gives us strength. And so uh, we, uh, we made it through Peter's first point where he went to his first passage, Joel chapter 2. If you missed it, it's online. And uh, he says, uh, God promised to uh, the Joel chapter 2 said, hey, God promised to send his Holy Spirit, and here he is, right? That was his first point. And he said, uh, you know, speaking of last days, <clears throat> the planet is on a collision course uh, with the wrath of God and his judgment, so best get out of the way by calling on the name of the Lord. And so now he continues and finishes up his sermon, and we're going to just read through it, and then uh, we'll talk about it. So... He, uh, he just picks up. This is his second point. So he's done talking about the end of the world. Call on the name of the Lord. And then he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Ouch. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you. By the way, there are thousands of people he's talking to. Uh, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it's impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, now he's going to Psalm 16, 
And he quotes it. This is Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, David speaking. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So this is, he's going to make a case for the resurrection. How can this Jesus be alive? He says, well, let's go back to Psalm 16. And now he, he quotes it. And now he's going to explain what we just read. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb's with us to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. He was talking about himself. He was talking prophetically about Christ and his resurrection. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all eyewitnesses of that. And exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out uh, on you now what you see and hear. For David, now he wants to say, not only is he um, resurrected, but he's also equal to God in every way. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet David wrote the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Wow. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. That's what Christ means. Well, we've had a turnaround, have we not, from the campfire? 50 days ago, he's like to a little girl, a 14-year-old girl saying, hey, aren't you from Galilee? No. Wow. Hey, to thousands of people, after preaching and quoting Old Testament passages, God has made this Jesus, who you all crucified, Lord and Christ. Well, let's see. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent, have a change of heart, and then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to come inside you and raise you to new life. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. And that's pretty amazing. And so we're going to walk through, and uh, kind of it unfolds really naturally, you know. Uh, he starts there in the beginning with the miraculous life and ministry of Jesus, his purposeful death, it was on purpose, and his victorious resurrection. That's really the next point. And then he goes on to say, hey, the resurrection's not some random thing. Check it out. It's in your own Bible. So he goes to Psalm 16. And then he says, and by the way, he's not just a prophet. This is 
God himself. He's equal to God in every way. And then he wraps up uh, there uh, with the, the altar call, a call to come and repent, turn around, about face, and be saved. So let's dive in. We've got the verses right there staring at you. The miraculous life and ministry of no ordinary man, the man from the town of Nazareth there. So, yes, this is important, he says there. Men of Israel, listen up. Now, he's already, if you remember last week, he's already said this. He said, uh, he started his sermon by this, really strong in the Greek language. uh, Let this be known to you. Heed my words. And now this again. Open your ears. Tear open your heart. Make room in your soul Rivet your attention to what I'm about to say because your soul depends on this because faith comes by hearing and you can't be saved without faith. And so you hear the message, you combine it with faith and you're saved. So life and death hangs in the balance on whether or not people are paying attention. And there will be some people, sadly, on that terrible, dreadful day at the end of the age the great white throne judgment where they will stand before God and be condemned forever simply because they did not pay attention. They didn't pay attention. Oh, millions and millions of people who will find themselves in that terrible place will be there Not because they didn't hear, not because they weren't in the right places at the right time, but because they felt like, hey, I'm not interested in spiritual things right now. It's not the time for me. Maybe when I'm old, maybe when I'm really in need. But right now I enjoy being my own boss and doing my own thing. So I'm not going to pay attention. And it costs them. So he has to say, listen up. The next thing he says is that this man was accredited by God the Father with miracles, signs, and wonders. I'll say. So Jesus never made a claim he didn't back up with power. So he knows that any madman can say, hey, I'm God. Uh, If you believe in me, you'll live forever. So he always provided miraculous signs and wonders. So if he said, I'm the light of the world, if you believe in me, you'll never walk in darkness. So in the same chapter, the next few words, he goes to a a blind man who's born blind and he takes him out of darkness and into light after he said, I'm the light of the world. And then when he says, I'm the bread of heaven, if you eat of this bread, you'll never die. You'll never be spiritually hungry again because you will meet your maker. And so then he takes bread three loaves, and he multiplies it because he just said a sermon on I'm the bread of heaven. Now watch what I can do. And so he was commended to them by God as not just being some crazy man who can make some crazy claims, but he has power. Jesus himself is the one who said in John chapter 10, look, if I make a claim and I can't back it up with what only God can do, I'm quoting Jesus that don't believe me. But if I make a claim, and then I can do what only God can do, then you better believe on the sake of the miracles themselves so that your soul will be saved. 
That's what he argued. And so, yeah, he's, and, and then he says he's handed over to you by God's set purpose. The bad guys didn't win. It was God's idea. Somebody had to pay for sins, and it couldn't be a man because he had his own sins to pay for. So it had to be a man without sins. Where are we going to find one of those? Only if God himself became one, then we'd have a man who is perfectly without sin. And then he has something to lay down as a sacrifice and as a substitute. And so he did. That's exactly right. That's what had, but it was his plan. He was slain before the foundation of the world. It was always his plan because he always saw what was going to happen and he always knew what needed to be done. And so he did it. He did it. He did it. It was his plan. He, he, Jesus wasn't killed for his good work. It was his good work to be killed, right? And so then, uh, you know, he says, yes, you crucified him and you're responsible. But God was sovereignly in charge. And how those two things work together, that God is sovereignly calling the shots and he is allowing us free will. But sure, <laughs> surely, Judas could have been a star disciple had he chosen, but he didn't. And Peter could have been a traitor. He had it in him, didn't he? He could have gone the whole way, but he didn't want to. He didn't choose to do that. So our choosing and God's choosing are working together, together, and we are culpable. Oh, no, you can't say, well, you know, we crucified him because it was God's plan. So, you know, it's God's fault. Uh, not going to work. We have a free will. And so, yeah, and then he says, but he didn't stay dead, did he? Because <laughs> you can kill Jesus of Nazareth, born of a woman, Mary. You can kill him, right? He's son of man in that he can die. But he's got this other nature. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He has God as his father. He is the incarnation of God. And therefore, <laughs> he cannot be kept back by death. So Jesus of Nazareth, the son of man, he can die. But Jesus of heaven, the man from heaven, he cannot so he was the perfect combination of 100% man, 100% God. So he says, listen, let me prove that to you in your own scriptures. Now, if people revere the Bible, which the, the majority of those Jews did in the crowds, there were up to one million in Jerusalem for the Passover and for every holiday. It happened to be the Feast of Weeks, as I told you, but there's a lot of people there. If they revere the Bible, then you can say, hey, look at the Bible. Do you believe in the Bible? Yes, I do. Then let's look at that. So starting at 25, he continues on by saying, let's check out uh, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. Note takers, that's what's before you. And so out of the 300 specific prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection... Here's some verses on the resurrection. And so uh, these psalms are called, some of them are called messianic psalms because they really are prophetically uh, most completely fulfilled through Christ. Uh, 
See, so something's happening right then and there, but it's actually talking, more importantly, about Christ. It's painting a picture. So I can give you an example of another psalm like this one, Psalm 22, and there's quite a few of them. Psalm 22, Jesus points out, he wants all the Jews who heard him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, very famous to the Jews. So in Psalm 22, not only is he crying out, but in Psalm 22 it says, of, and David in his anguish is penning these words. He says, uh, the enemies have surrounded me, they have pierced my hands and feet. Well, it can't be of David. He's either having a vision, or that's how he feels, but the Holy Spirit put that in David's heart to say, because he's talking about the true David, the son of David, times 28 grandchildren, grandsons, 28 grandsons, great, great times 28, equals you've got in the blood, blood-related, Jesus, his human nature is related. And, and so in Psalm 22, they cast lots for my clothes because he's so famous. Who wants his clothes after he's dead? Well, let's roll the dice. That's in that psalm. And so it can't be about David because they didn't do that to David. Now, same with 16. He says, uh, and we can move on here now to what he says. Next paragraph. He says, listen, guys, I can assure you, and they're, they're, they're not even a half a mile from the tomb there in Jerusalem. I can assure you, when he says, hey, Lord, you're not going to leave this body in the grave or let me rot in the grave. Sorry, it's a, not a, as nice of a word as decay, but that's what it means. And he says, let me assure you, he's not talking about himself, because guess what? Open up the tomb. Guess what you're going to find in there? a 1,000-year-old corpse. So he wasn't talking about himself. He's prophesying because, and he explains this. He says, because David was told, you're going to have an ancestor, a great-great-grandson, who will be on the throne forever. So now he knows one of my ancestors is going to be eternal. Therefore, he cannot die. So he prophesies knowing that God told him in 2 Samuel verse 14 that from your own body is going to come a king whose reign will never end. And so he knows this, Peter says, and he's prophesying about the one who will come and reign forever. Well, of course God isn't going to let his body decay because he's going to reign and rule forever. And so he says, so right there in your Tanakh, that is the Hebrew word for the Bible, and the Jews call what we call the Old Testament, they call it the Bible. Their Bible, they call the Bible. <laughs> and so he says, hey, you guys Bible believers, and I love that. I love telling somebody who I was sitting on the plane once and some woman made the mistake of making a comment to me <laughs> and opening the door of conversation, and she's all... Uh, Oh, I see you're reading the Bible. Love the Bible. I said, do you? <laughs> oh, wow. So you're a Christian? Well, yeah, I am. But I found that Buddhism, 
really supplements. I found that my Christian life, I found that my Christian life was lacking. Was lacking. I didn't have what I needed. And so I turned to Buddhism and I said, Oh, really? But you love the Bible. And she said, Yes. Oh, <laughs> as soon as you say that, you have sealed your fate right there. So, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And I said, Can you read this? And she read, she's reading silently. And I said, Could you read it out loud? And so, His divine presence has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus, our Lord. She goes, hmm, I've never seen that verse before. (laughs) I'm glad to point that out to you. Free of charge. I don't say that. (laughs) See, if you say to somebody, you believe in the Bible? Yeah, okay, well, what about this verse? Well, they always have an answer to that. (laughs) You know, know, whatever, right? But I just love if they revere the Bible. So he knows they revere the Bible. So he says, look, look, the the resurrection, that spooky, weirdo thing. What do you think? And he could have gone to other places too. And so, yeah. And it's not just that he rose from the dead. It's that he was exalted too. And so we've got the next, starting at 34. For David didn't ascend to heaven, and yet David wrote the law. And this is an important verse. The Lord said to my Lord, he's quoting Psalm 110, the opening line of a psalm. Psalm 110 is a short psalm about one Lord talking to another Lord who have, have been assaulted by their rebel enemies And they're both talking, this one, the Lord, the Father, is talking to the Lord, the Son. Let's destroy the place together. Oh, no worries, Son, Lord, because I am going together with you, make the place like an ottoman for your foot to go on, the earth. We're going to crush them. So no worries. That line, the Lord said to my Lord, is the most often quoted scripture from the Old Testament in the New 25 times. And why is that? It's because it says Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Yahweh says to Adonai, Adonai means Yahweh. Yahweh is always called Adonai in the Old Testament. So Jesus uses this as a trump card to his enemies, the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, right before he's crucified, come up to him and give him a hard time. And uh, he uses this as a trump card to silence them because he's warning them, watch out, fellas. You're messing with the wrong Messiah. All right. So what he does is says, I've got a question for you guys. They're, they're, they're throwing all the trick questions at him. He's sidestepping, he's being a genius, he's turning around the boomerangs, hitting them off the head, you know. And then he says, okay, guys, listen up. I got a question for you. Now, the Messiah, let me get this right. He's the son of David. He's the ancestor of David, right? They're like, right. Well, how come in Psalm 110 he calls him by God's name? Why does David call the Messiah God? Just got a question. 
And it says, from that point on, they dared not ask him another question. Why? Because he's saying, listen, fellas, watch it. You think I'm some prophet from Nazareth? Excuse me, to mess with me is to destroy yourself. Because you're messing with God. So he's exalted to the highest place, like Philippians chapter 2 says, he appeared in the form of a man. Uh, of a, a humble servant and he humbled himself to the point of death, to the point of death on a cross. But God highly exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is what? A prophet from Nazareth that Jesus Christ is Lord. There it is again. And so my friends, the Bible over and over and over again says the Messiah is equal to God. And though he appeared as a man, humble and died on that cross, he is exalted now to the place he was at the beginning when he prays in John 17, the high priestly prayer. He says, Father, glorify me with the glory we shared before the world began. So now he's not in a new place. He's restored to the place he has always been as God the Son. And then, so we finish up with the response here. When the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts. Why? Because Hebrews 4, 4, 12. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And either people are going to be cut to the heart and say, what should we do? What can I do under this weight of grief and remorse and conviction and condemnation? Rightful and fear. What should we do? Or they push back and fight back. Either way, if you're preaching and you're teaching what's true, there's a cut. You can't do it. You're a sinner. We've all fallen short. Your good works count for nothing. Bam! Every single time. They'll either get saved or angry. There are really two choices. When the word connects with a sinner, (laughs) and then as soon as we respond rightly, it brings in the comfort like nobody's business. But first, to get us off the path that leads to destruction, he has to come in with a sharp two-edged sword, and that's what he does here. Their hearts are cut, and they feel the dread. Well, why wouldn't you feel the dread? He says, you crucified him. They know they did, too. They know it. They went from Hosanna, those crowds, thousands, They went from, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise the Lord. And then they found out, what? He's dying? He has no power? He's not exalting Israel? He's not doing what I want him to do? He's not prospering me? He's going to say, pick up your cross and follow me and deny yourself? I don't want that Messiah. I want the time he comes the second time without the first. So to reject him is to add to the weight of his sin, to crucify him. Every single person who has sinned is responsible for crucifying Jesus. Every single person whose sin has been laid on his shoulders, the reason he's on the cross. So he points them out and says, you guys kill them. 
was God's plan. But you guys put the Lord of glory to death, and instead you ate at the table with the devil. You ate of the devil's food. You slushed that down. You rebelled. You cursed with your tongue. You hated. You fought, thought you were better than everybody else. You did your own thing and told God terrible things. We ought to feel something. So they say, what do we do with this kind of feeling? He says, turn. Turn. He doesn't say, feel really bad. Though we should. Regret and remorse, terrible. Yeah, is that repentance? No. Can it be part of it? Yes. What does the word mean? Turn. Turn. Because there are people who will feel regret and remorse like Esau who cried like a baby because he, he, it's more like crying because you got caught. That's not called repentance. And a lot of people get caught doing their little dark deeds. It would have been nice if you would have turned and come and confessed. That's a whole other story than somebody finding a receipt and saying, what's this about? And then you get caught and you're crying and you're so sad. Why? Because you got caught. And now it's time to pay the consequences. That's not repentance. The repentance that saves somebody is turning. That's what the word means. Turn. And you know how you know if you're saved? Did you turn? Or are you doing the same old stuff? Did you turn? I had a, a friend who was going hipster. He went all the way. But when he started reading Rob Bell and about how we don't need to repent, he told me over lunch at Chloe's, he says, I will never tell another human being to repent. What a nasty thing to do. And I said, that's too bad, John. The Baptist's first words, Jesus Christ's first words, first words, repent. And now this sermon, repent, because it's the, you can't get saved without it. And of course the devil's going to come around and say, oh, it's such a nasty word. Let's change it. Because it's in, you. if you have faith, you turn. If you turn, it's because you had faith. So it's really faith that saves. And if you have saving faith, you turn. You turn from your sins and turn to God. It doesn't mean you don't struggle and you're always doing, you know, maybe you do a lot of that. I do. But we keep facing the right direction. Amen. And as a result, what happens? They get baptized. Baptism Sadly, it says, repent and be baptized. The thought there is repent and then be baptized. The, a baptism doesn't save anybody. I've got two slides, right? To one slide, two scriptures that show that we're saved by grace. It's grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift, not by good deeds, including baptism. He saved us, Titus, Paul to Titus. Not because of righteous things like being baptized and being good and all of that. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his mercy, 100%. That's why it's good news. If it had 1% to do with you and me, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. If it was 99% God, 1% human, good luck with that. 
good luck with that. It's got to be 100% all of him, right? And we're going to get to heaven. And whatever reward he gives us, it ends up at his feet. Because it was 100% you, Lord. 100% you. And then they were baptized, 3,000, on the, on, the, on the Feast of Weeks, which it was, Shavuot, right? The Jews, to this day, link it back to the giving of the law, as I've told you. So they're celebrating, commemorating the giving of the law on that day. When 3,000 people died, when the stone tablets came down to a bunch of rebel partiers around a golden calf, 3,000 people lost their lives on that day. Now on Pentecost, on the same day, not law comes down, but spirit and grace comes down, and what? 3,000 people live, and they're baptized. I've got some pictures from our baptism, which just happened a few days ago. 20 people. 20 people, one by one. I went down the road. They all told the same story. I once was lost. I was wandering around, groping around in darkness. They all had the same story. You know, because we all have the same story. I was doing things my own way. I was banging my head up against the wall, you know, and then Christ, and then Christ, and then Christ, and then Christ. Okay, we can go through. We got some, lots of pictures. We don't have much time. Yeah, take a look at these things. I just, I've got the, see, I mean, come on. <laughs> I love that one. Bruce got excited there. They all did. A new couple to the church. The first time they got saved, they're dog breeders. They're, they're the breeders of the, yeah. They bought a dog from a kennel, and they're Christians, and, and they led them to the Lord. And the first church they went to as born-again Christians was our church sitting on the front row next to me. And I'm like, what are you guys doing here? They're, they're like, we don't really know. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, we just want to read the Bible all day long. And yeah, okay, I could tell you stories. But... Okay, more and more. Just, you know, little Junior got baptized before he was even born. I'm unbelievable. This young man, I don't have time to do this. What am I telling you this for? Because uh, everybody in the place, there were probably 200 people on, around. Everybody was just like stunned by the words coming out of his mouth. Uh, I could cry thinking about it. Just amazing. Moving on. Another beautiful picture. Do we have a few more? Just run through them, bro. Yeah, I think we've seen that one. Thanks. All right, we get the picture, right? This is what happened. You know, if you go to Jerusalem with us the next time, whenever that is, <laughs> you'll see baptismal cisterns in the rocks in front of the southern steps in front of the temple. That's exactly where they are. They're everywhere. And there's reservoirs nearby. That's where 3,000 people were <laughs> baptized. Jews. And one more thing. Jews didn't get baptized. Gentiles got baptized. Jews didn't need. We were born Jews. That was the thinking. No Jew ever got baptized. It's the first time Jews are getting baptized because they're saying, we are sinners. We are outside like the Gentiles. 
We have to come to God now with renewal, just like everybody else, because we're all sinners. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your love. Now as we remember your death on our behalf, we pray that your blessing and your spirit would make these things alive to our hearts and we'd be reassured, God, and that we would double-check ourselves on all our ways that we are turning, that we have turned in response to your good word. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.